Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Hey everyone, Mikkel here. So I have an ask for you today. If you're enjoying this podcast, what I want you to do is go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. If you want to leave us a five-star review, even better. If not, tell us why. We are really doing our best to make this show the absolute best it can be to help as many people to go offshore and inspire entrepreneurs and investors and business owners to move their businesses abroad. There's so much to be had in this industry. I love doing this work and I love doing this podcast, but we want to get the message out there to more people. And the best way to do that is with reviews. So if you have ever gotten one good tip, one good thing from this show, if you enjoy listening to us every single Wednesday or whenever you listen during the week, then please take 30 seconds out of your day, go out there, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It actually makes a big difference for the show, for the visibility, and really helps get the word out there. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much, everyone, for your support, and enjoy today's episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show, and today's guest is the managing director of the first governmental startup, e-residency. He took up the mantle of MD in 2019, having previously held the position of deputy director. He was responsible for the scale-up of the e-residency project through strategic partnerships and product development from 2015 to present day. He has spoken at several high-profile events, like the World Knowledge Forum in South Korea, where he spoke alongside the president of Estonia about how digital incentives like e-residency will pave the way for a stronger economic and social relations between the world. Please welcome to the show, Ott Vader. Ott, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Doing excellent. Why don't you take a couple of minutes and kind of explain to me how you got working on this project? I'm interested to hear a bit about your backstory. Uh, now that's a, that's a funny question and a funny little story, by the way. So um, I actually joined the program initially for two months. That was back in uh, end of 2014. And um, I came to actually solve a little problem that e-residents made their applications on paper. So you had to come to Estonia physically. You had to go to the Estonian police and border guard uh, representation point, And you had to fill in a piece of paper to get the, the application made. And uh, after that, you would wait for 30 days and come back to Estonia to get the e-residency identity card. And my first 
the job, so to say, was to take this online. So to create the web page and to figure out how you actually distribute uh, e-residency globally. And uh, of course, after the two months, I understood that this problem is, is much bigger and, uh, and would take a lot more time to, to solve. So I stayed on for one and a half years. And today, five years later, I'm still here. <laughs> but it is a little bit funny, you know, the thought of doing an e-residency, but you have to do it with pen and paper. Exactly. I mean, the first concept was um, was pen and paper based, uh, and you, for for you to get a bank account together with e-residence, you had to go physically to the bank as well. So that would mean in the first phase, you would have to come to Estonia basically three times, <laughs> which is not very e. Yeah. Well, and then correct me if I'm wrong, but Estonia is part of the EU, so you'd probably need a Schengen visa for most people who were applying. Yes, that is correct. And e-residency itself, e-residency itself. Uh, I mean, the name can be a bit misleading as well. That uh, it has the word residence in it, but it's actually virtual. So there is no correlation to physical travel, or you can't get uh, a visa with e-residency. It's only online verification. Well, you've spoiled the surprise because I was actually going to ask about that later on. Because the word residency, you know, when I work in citizenship by investment and uh, you know different types of residency by investment. So it's, it's kind of curious. So there really is no, so is, is it maybe misnamed a little bit, the program or? So I tried to do the disclaimer in the beginning, so everybody would remember it. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to be completely honest. I mean, we did it for marketing purposes. Uh, it, it sounded great. And um, uh, we, we did have the similar kind of uh, identity program in Estonia for our citizens. And then it's kind of a re- packaged version for non-citizens so everybody could participate and we thought you know what would be the name and if we would name it Estonian business environment or Estonians digital identity card I mean it wouldn't be half as sexy as e-residency so that's that's what it is well and it I still think that e-residency does make sense and, and you know please correct me on anything that I get wrong here but it's the e part is you are you are a digital resident of of the country so you can digitally do your banking and have your business license and everything like that there but it's it's just your digital self it's not your physical self is that kind of the differentiating aspect Co correct i mean it's not it's not um e-residence is correct but it can be in certain cases a bit misleading uh especially when you're when you're outside of the european union as you mentioned to and you want to get the schengen visa uh, we have quite a lot of people who turn to us uh, who are expecting it to be uh, some kind of physical movement program. So uh, it needs a bit of kind of research before you actually understand that uh, you can't really travel with the car. Well, I have a ton of questions about it today, and I'm really excited about this. But uh, let's let's take one step back. I want to hear a little bit about Estonia because now. I've traveled to more than 100 countries in the world, but I've never had an opportunity to go to Estonia. So I want to know a little bit about the country and the culture and maybe the history, if possible, of how this program came into, uh, into being. So you should definitely come to Estonia to start with. Um, it's a lovely country. It's located in uh, Northern Europe. Um, we pride ourselves in being a digital nation, which, which actually kind of comes from our nature 
uh, of not wanting to talk to other people that much. As, as we're on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably not the average Estonian. <laughs> but uh, so we have a lot of um, forest and a lot of uh, dark period during the winter. So our sun sets basically 4 uh, p.m. during the winter time. So um, it, it can get quite depressing. And, and the joke we make is that we created a digital nation for the citizens not have to communicate with the government uh, physically so they could do it you know, from their computer and they wouldn't have to go anywhere. That's kind of, you know, the joke part of it. But how it got started was that when we broke away from the Soviet Union in, in the beginning of the 1990s, we didn't have much or we didn't have anything, not that much natural resources, not any money. And um, we had to kind of start from the beginning and to see maybe to skip some technologies and kind of fast track ourselves towards internet cables into public schools and computers to public schools in the mid 90s or end of 1990s. So we had a kind of generation of, um, of youngsters who were exposed to uh, computer technology. And from there, I think there was the first sparks of, you know, um, Kazaa, who, whose developers are from Estonia, the same guys who actually coded Skype, though the Swedish like to claim ownership of Skype, but actually, you know, the technology platform was, was made in Estonia. And, you know, when they sold Skype, then a lot of, kind of actual uh, funding came to Estonia and a lot of bright ideas because everybody understood that, you know, even their idea could be the next Skype. And that kind of transformed to government as well. We've had some very innovative government programs and we adopted the identity card in mid-2000. Um, so we made it obligatory for everyone as a national document. But the first few years, you couldn't really do much with the card. And you said mid-2000 or the mid-2000s? The mid-2000s. Mid two thousands. Okay, I was gonna say, wow, <laughs> like two thousand, uh, like June two thousand or something like that. Uh, yeah, what I meant was two thousand four, what two thousand three, two thousand four, something like that. And um, and uh, with the digital identity, uh, the first services that came about were kind of banking and and tax and and uh, you could log into the platforms and you know do data transfers. And, you know, at that time, still some countries were using checks and some countries still use checks to, to this day. And we were doing it from our computer using, you know, this weird chipped uh, identity document. And um, today we can't really imagine our life without it. So the Esto average Estonian uses the identity card every day. It's our, like our key to our house, you know, to, to communicate with uh, our bank, our tax office, our government, local government to register our child's birth, to go to the pharmacy. We have our um, uh, we have our prescription on the card, and so everything is actually around it. So when you lose it, it's, it's kind of a pickle, and uh, that's how kind of e-residency came about uh, of this historical background that we had the same platform before, and we kind of replicated to it to non-citizens. And the whole story of this e-Estonia or a digital nation is around how it's possible to communicate with your government online. And now e-residency is kind of the, let's say, the arm's length of this digital nation to non-citizens. We are kind of exporting it now to everyone who can be part of our lovely country. So I, I have to ask, I've seen so many... Digital products. Okay, so I, I lived in the Middle East for eight years, and they wanted to put in so many digital products. And when they worked, they were amazing. They were super convenient, um, and everything was fine. Uh, 
But when they didn't work, it was the biggest pain in the butt. Um, we were always downloading new apps for every single different thing, and then the government would change the app, and then it'd be a different one. And the one that worked six months ago doesn't work today. And there was all these problems. Do you guys have you guys tackled those types of hurdles? Are you on the other side, or is is there still a lot that needs to be done to make these type of e e interaction with the government um, easy to use? I would say that no uh, information technology innovation is without its bugs. You will you will always have them. The difference is that if the actual user you know will um, will uh, find them, will test them, and will uh, will be they will they be repaired in in a meaningful time, or uh, it will be a flawed system. Um, if you develop too many services at once, of course uh, the quality will go down. Uh, but in our case. Probably as we started so early, definitely there were problems and, uh, and uh, not anything was perfect. But by today, I think the system itself is already so rock solid, you know, more than, more than um, 15 years that uh, it, it works fine. Um, also, when you look at the infrastructure of this identity card, so it's 15 years old technology <laughs> that we're using at the moment, uh, which is also we, we claim that it's fine because we know the ins and outs of it. We know that it's secure. And, uh, and we've been using it for such a long time. We actually use it to vote on parliamentary elections as well, which shows how much we actually, actually trust this document. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that's interesting because I know some governments are going back to paper ballots after hackers and, and data breaches and things like that. There, some countries are going the opposite way because the lack of trust with, um, with having everything digital. So our argument here is that the, the digital system, for us, we have had no uh, flaws and no data breaches uh, to this day. And uh, paper-based voting is much, much more flawed in our view than, uh, than digital um, when you sign you know, your uh, ballot digitally. Also, it's possible for foreigners, or let's say Estonians who are living in the US, for example, or other countries go to the embassy and vote on paper so we give them the option to vote from the comfort of their home using their computer let's say there is someone who forces you to vote for someone else right by threat or holding a gun or whatever so with digital voting you have the option to actually log in again the next day and change your vote aha uh -huh. okay interesting it's another layer of security or or another layer of uh, functionality for, for this kind of uh, system. Well, and then taking one step back, um, what we were just mentioning about the technology and, you know, having bugs and, and things not working correctly at the beginning. I think that goes for so many things in life, because I've really noticed just as an entrepreneur, you know, when you're trying to learn new skills or get into a new business or a new industry, most people and, and most things, they suck at first. They're terrible. And I think that's a really important step to go through because if you don't go through that and you don't work out all the bugs then you're never going to get on the other side and the example that i really like to use is kodak film kodak was actually one of the first companies in the world to develop uh digital cameras and they had this big camera and they wheeled it in it had you know four wheels and they bring it into the room and they take a picture and it was really really crappy and they said you know this is never going to work this is never going to fly We'll never get through this. So they just abandoned the project. And now look at where they are. The company went bankrupt. You know, they didn't, they didn't allow themselves the time to have the technology suck at first. And, and they gave up too early. 
but it sounds like with you guys being some of the first people in the industry, like 15 years, that's, that's quite substantial. You know, I'm sure that there must have been a lot of mistakes and a lot of problem solving at the beginning, and now you have a good handle on it. And I would also imagine that a lot of other countries would want access to this type of technology. And so you've not only been able to bring business to your country with the people who sign up for it, for example, the e-residency, but also being able to use this as a product that you would sell to other countries. Yeah, I think you have to embrace the fact that software updates are kind of our everyday reality, right? So usually people don't think that when at night when they put their phone uh, down that it kind of updates itself. What it's actually doing is repairing the bugs and the flaws, right? But you don't see it, so so to say. And when you go up to a website and the website is not working, then you're like, ah, this is so flawed. <laughs> but we have to embrace the fact that when you want to use technology, you have to update and, and uh, fix the, the flaws constantly as well. Now, coming back to your being the first and, uh, and going through this hurdle and now kind of sharing this experience, uh, yes, it's true. Uh, what is also true is usually the first ones, you know, um, have the most sacrifice, so to say. <laughs> that, uh, you know, you, 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 the smart ones actually learn from the mistakes of the first ones and then kind of replicate. Um, so, so I said that the technology of the ID card, you know, that we use is, is very old. And, and uh, if I would have to do it again today, I wouldn't use the card. I would go uh, directly on like an app-based solution, right? I would even skip SIM cards because there are SIM card-based solutions as well, like mobile IDs that, uh, that can be used. But uh, at the moment, the card is working, um, and we have this experience, so we are kind of uh, exporting this knowledge to other countries uh, as well. So you are correct. Excellent. So let's dig into the program a little bit, uh, the particulars. So what can you do on the program? What can you not do on the program? I know we already touched a little bit on you cannot live on <laughs> you cannot live in Estonia on the program. But what are the other things that you can do? What are the things that you can't do? So you apply as a private person. So uh, you apply. You go to our website eresident.gov.ee. There's an online application platform that, uh, of course, we created. <laughs> I created, and. Uh, and you give us your personal details that goes to the government and the government will make a decision uh, because it's not, uh, it's not actually um, a right, but it's a privilege uh, to, to, to be an e-resident. Um, so once you choose the application, the location where you want to get your, your card, so we distribute this through our embassy network. So Estonian embassies all around the world, you have to have one physical meeting because it's the highest form, highest security form of, of a national document according to EU laws. So you meet the consul and the con consul verifies that you, Mikel, are actually Mikel and, uh, and issues you the card. Now, once you get the card, there are no obligations. So it's important to, to understand that you are now an e-resident of Estonia, but that doesn't mean that you are now officially a tax resident of Estonia or all of your tax belong to Estonia or, um, or you know, you have to vote or something like that. So there are absolutely no obligations. What you can do and what most e-residents do is you can sign documents digitally. So if you have some kind of pre-existing business relations or, or personal relation in Estonia, you can sign the documents digitally. You can encrypt the documents using your private keys. And uh, mostly what the residents do is actually create companies to Estonia using the digital identity. So from the comfort of their homes, they're actually creating um, um, EU uh, legislative bodies to Estonia, which they use for business purposes. 
because we are part of the EU and, and there's a lot of economic activity and everything can be done virtually, so from the comfort of your home. And that is what e-residence e is really about. So giving people the opportunity to execute their business goals you know, from the comfort of their home. You cannot travel, as I mentioned, so no physical identification. Uh, you cannot vote in Estonian parliamentary elections or, or participate, but you can use Estonian digital services, mainly company creation. Okay, interesting. And can any nationality apply or is it some similar to other residencies where you like, for example, I live in Panama, I'm on the Friendly Nations visa, I'm Canadian, I'm one of 50 countries that can apply for residency here. Do you have any type of restrictions uh, in this regard? Anyone can apply uh, in, in, from any country, from any citizenship, as long as they have you know, a country and they have a passport. Um, that being said, of course, there are lists, uh, sanction lists that are checked, uh, for example, that uh, you don't have any criminal history or, or um, something that Estonia would refrain from you letting your letting you into our kind of economic environment. So if you have if you're a bad person or have bad friends, then we just might not um, accept your application. But you can submit the application uh, from anywhere. Mm -hmm. So, for example, you're from Iran, but you're a great person. You have a legitimate business. There shouldn't be any reason that you wouldn't be able to uh, be accepted. Uh, technically, theoretically, yes. Uh, in practice, it really depends uh, what kind of business, you know, where, where you're from. So this all is decided by the Estonian police. So talk to me a little bit about the tax rate then, because I know you, you said the word tax, but we didn't dig into it at all. And I think that'll be one of the main questions on my listeners' minds, is how the corporate tax works, how the personal tax works, the VAT, anything that you can tell me about. Okay, we're just going to take a quick break. So if you guys haven't joined Expat Money Forum yet, then I don't know what I need to do to get you guys to go on this. The conversations in this forum are just unbelievable. The networking is fantastic. There's so much things being shared with the group that honestly, it's more than just me. It's more than just this podcast. It has grown to a life of its own. We have over 2,000 people in our private group discussing things like immigration, asset protection, travel, food, culture, history, everything about being an expat and going overseas. There's tons of work being done on Plan B residencies, on different passports. We're even talking about SIM cards, international SIM cards, and the best places to get your internet if you're a digital nomad and you're traveling around the world. There are so many things that are being shared by people who are actually in different countries, who are digital nomads, who are expats, who have gone offshore, and there's just so much there. So I'm really excited about it. I hope you can see that I'm really thrilled about this group because it's just more than I ever expected. And a massive shout out to you if you are part of the group and you are contributing and helping other people who are looking to get where you are. You are an awesome person. I really, really appreciate it. So if you guys want to get involved, if you want to join the conversation, then go to expatmoneyforum.com or on Facebook directly, you can search for Expat Money Forum. You'll find us there. We should come up on the very first page. And yeah, join the group, join the conversation. Lots happening there. Okay, let's jump back into today's interview. As a private person, you apply for e-residency. That means that 
you are an e-resident and you can create the company to Estonia if you want to. Now, as a private person, you are a tax resident where you are living, right? So where you spend most of your time, uh, there you should pay the taxes because that's where you actually use the infrastructure or get healthcare or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, when you create the company to Estonia, that company uh, becomes a tax resident of Estonia. Uh, there are, of course, exceptions, uh, because if the permanent establishment of your company is somewhere else, then, of course, the main taxes should be paid you know, where they're owed, where the permanent establishment of the company is. So if you have a factory or something like that that's physically producing goods, that would be more in that country where the factory is located. But if you are a coach and consultant or something, you need to do all your business online, maybe that would be a bit different. That would be a, di- a bit different and it really depends where do you actually create the value. So where do you spend most of your time? So it might be that you have your company registered in Estonia. So you come here to make your business decisions that say that the board of your company makes their decisions in Tallinn. You say the permanent establishment is there. Uh, or it might be that you know the permanent establishment is, is uh, in Germany or, or France, but you have the company registered in Estonia because it's easy to sign the documents. Well, I find that all the time because I get private clients and people who ask me all the time, oh, if I just register my business offshore, then do I pay zero taxes? Well, this doesn't really work like that. It's not so much about where the company is registered, it's where you are. You know, if you're physically, and we can use the United States, for example, if you're physically outside of the United States, then there's something we can do for you. Now, if you do all your business and you live in the United States full time and your family is there and your investments are there, but your company is registered in, I don't know, in Seychelles or something like that, probably there's not a lot that we're going to be able to do for you in the tax regard. You know, Now, if you're a digital nomad and you live overseas and you travel and you take an income from the business, then you know maybe there is something we can do. So I imagine that with Estonia, it kind of works a bit similar. Exactly. It's, it's exactly the same. I mean, international tax laws are, are quite similar there. Of course, they are very complicated and, uh, and they are completely outdated because the tax laws don't really account for the modern freelancer or the modern digital nomad because they are kind of illegals in, the, in this world because they're traveling, <laughs> traveling all around and, and, uh, and they shouldn't pay tax in only one place because they're creating value all over the place. And that is something that we are kind of you know, the mind shift that Estonia is trying to change. That, uh, and what if Estonian tax authority would be the first tax authority to actually collect taxes, you know, from this digital nomad and then distribute it according to the days he spent in, I don't know, Thailand, Germany, US, and would send this information to all of the tax offices and everybody gets their cut, you know. Uh, not so that, you know, the digital nomad is a citizen of US and everything must be paid in US, though that he spent his, you know, year in, in very different places and use the infrastructure of other countries, not the US at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a d- well, very difficult ship to kind of turn around. Yeah, and that would be, I don't know if that's going to be a popular sentiment. A lot of people respect their or want their privacy. They're not going to want um, their information shared with tax authorities, you know, as long as they're not breaking the law. Um, you know, that that's a tricky one. It is, a, it, it is a tricky one, but what we have discovered, so Estonian kind of um, business environment is very transparent. And, and we have always from the very beginning said that if you want to come here, then you have to, um, you have to understand the fact that you know, we only want clean kind of companies and clean people here. 
and everything is done digitally. So everything digital leaves a footprint. So already that kind of uh, leaves out some people who maybe would like to commit uh, crimes. It's not the smartest place to do it because you give out your fingerprints and the digital identity kind of <laughs> leaves, leaves a trace of, of everything. But for example, our yearly uh, company records are public information. So when you have a company registered in Estonia, then each year you, pu you, you um, publicize the yearly results or the yearly uh, bookkeeping results. And that is public information. Anyone can download and, uh, and uh, accept that. And that is very controversial. I, I, I know a lot of people wouldn't like to have it at all. And you mean, you mean the company records are private or you mean who actually owns the company and everything like that? Uh, so yeah, also who is the owner of the company that uh, wow. that that is public and then the company records uh, yearly kind of income blah 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 stuff stuff like that. Yeah, I can see how that would be very controversial. But that's what Estonia is about: uh, full transparency in terms of business uh, as well. And kind of we've not just Estonians, but we've kind of accepted that that if you want to run this company in Estonia, we have today you know almost 70,000 e-residents who are running 11,000 companies and they have all been okay with that. Well, and I think that's why it's so excellent to have you on the podcast so we can talk about all the different things. The, you know, because not every structure, not every system, not every government is going to be the right for every single person. You know, that's why I believe in the freedom to choose. That's why I like jurisdiction shopping. You know, I'm Canadian. I lived in the Middle East for eight years. I lived in Australia and Singapore and New Zealand and all over the place. And now I live in Panama. And I like to have that choice of, you know, at this time where I live, where I do business, where I do my banking. And, uh, and then the important thing is that I'm educated. And, you know, that's part of the reason that this podcast is so that my listeners can educate themselves and make a, an informed decision on the best way to build their business internationally. That makes perfect sense. I mean, Estonia is just one of the the options, but um, in in our case, it's it's very you know it, it's important to um, to adhere to the fact that um, everything done in Estonia, most most of the company information, of not of course not private information, uh, is is public, but the company information is public. Makes sense. So then, let's go back, and we said that. If you do the, for example, your head office is in Estonia and you have your board of directors meetings there and all of these types of things that show strong economic ties to Estonia, then what are the corporate tax rates um, in the country currently? So the corporate tax rate is a flat tax of 20% at the moment. So it might be reduced a little bit um, in the coming years, but at the moment it's 20 and uh, there's a very interesting um, exception uh, to it. And that is, if you reinvest uh, the profit, you are not taxed the corporate tax. So we don't tax profit, but we tax when you take it out of the company and start to pay dividends to yourself. Ah, okay. Well, that's interesting. So you hire more staff, you put more into infrastructure, yada, yada, yada. You're not being taxed. It's when you actually take the money out of the company. Um, to pay yourself for um, distributions for the dividends, that's when you're taxed. And that is not a widely used system. And we were kind of criticized in the beginning for, for having the system, but it has worked very well um, in terms of growing the number of businesses and, and actually helping to grow the business environment. So there are now other countries who are kind of adopting similar uh, tax regimes. 
criticized by other government agencies or by other governments? Even in the beginning, when we implemented this, we were criticized by the IMF and uh, and some kind of monetary institutions that, you know, there was no one in the world who was creating this kind of system. <laughs> and like, there is this small country now, you know, an ex-Soviet country who's coming up with the system, like they can't be, right? Well, that's really interesting because I think that taxes can really stifle a new business. You know, if, if you're, if you're thinking about growth, you know, you want to be putting everything you can back into the business. And if you're giving, giving away or, or being taxed at the very first dollar that you earn, you know, that makes it really difficult. And you're being taxed because you're doing well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Punishing those who actually uh, build jobs and, and drive the economy. Amazing. Um, so what about a VAT or anything like that with regard to taxes? The VAT is flat 20% and uh, it's all over. Um, I mean, we are part of the EU, so it's, it's kind of similar in, uh, in EU in general, but in Estonia, it's uh, 20% VAT. And is there any difference if your customers are not in the EU or, you know, anything like this where the location of your actual people are who are, are doing commerce with you? So when you have the company registered in Estonia, that means the EU um, in general, and you're kind of selling your services outside of the EU, then you don't, um, you don't include VAT at all. So it's uh, kind of strictly EU member state based at the moment. And then are there any other incentives? Like we just talked about, you're only paying it when you take out dividends. Are there any other incentives from the tax side? Um, you know, any type of roll-ups or any type of tax credits or anything like this? that people should know and understand? The corporate tax kind of um, uh, exception is the only exception that the Estonian government basically makes. Um, there, there are some with electricity for kind of huge corporations that we've done also, but the kind of general line of Estonia is not to make any exceptions um, regarding that so that everyone must be treated equally. Okay, perfect. And then talk to me a little bit about from the banking side. So after you have your e-residency, you can apply for the company and you can file your taxes. But what about the banking? Um, applying for a bank account, does that come with it? How does that work? Uh, any type of the banking sector? I'm super curious. In the beginning of the program, we actually had an agreement with the Estonian banks that um, we changed the law in Estonia permitting um, e-residents. So we, when you had been checked by the Estonian police and issued this national identity that you would be able to create a company virtually uh, and also participate in opening the bank account virtually. So you would have like a Skype interview and, and you would get a bank account. Uh, the situation has changed after 2016 and 17 uh, regarding you know the US sanctions on Russia, uh, some terrorist attacks in EU so the banking system generally in EU has kind of become a bit more unfriendly towards non-resident accounts. So when you're not a citizen of that country, which means that, you know, it's difficult for them to check your background and who, who you actually are. So e-residency does not guarantee a bank account by no means because banks are private companies and we are a governmental program and, and we believe that, you know, public sector shouldn't force uh, private sector or tell them how to do their business. So it's either the bank decides, you know, according to their uh, risk level, uh, if they want to open a, open a, an account or not. Now, we have 
kind of discovered that most of the e-residents actually benefit from uh, payment institutions and financial technology companies that um, many of them don't need a traditional bank account at all because they don't need you know a credit um, uh, card or, or you know a credit account uh, they don't need um, loans mostly they just need to transact you know invoice and and um, and actually pay uh, pay out some kind of sums so uh, it's quite a simplified version and most of them can use companies like transferwise paypal pesera pioneer um, so there are a lot of options out there so lots of lots of different types of merchant accounts and things that will be able to accept payment that are available through estonia okay like Revolut number 26. So there are a lot of these fintechs out there at the moment. But the important thing to remember is that e-residency does not guarantee a bank account. So we give you a digital identity, which you can use to create a company uh, and apply for a bank account. But it will always be uh, on the dis full discretion of the bank. But so with the e-residency, you will have all of the things that you need from the government side to apply. And then it will be the bank's decision whether you are going to be a good client and they want to take you on or not is that right correct and that's the same kind of risk assessment that uh, we talked about before that you know when you're from a country with uh, sanctioned um uh, sanctions uh, from from other countries then you know you're less likely to get a bank account from the bank uh, but there might be for example an iranian citizen who is living in switzerland and uh, is doing completely legal stuff and why shouldn't they be eligible for the bank account so each case is kind of different and we don't discriminate um so it, it really depends um because yeah it's so funny sometimes we have people come to us they want to open a company and then we tell them the prices and you know it's we, we package things together a bank account and a and a corporate structure and things like that and then they'll go on the internet they'll find someone else who would do the corporate structure for you know five hundred dollars cheaper and then they'll come back to us and be like okay we want that bank account and it's like well no, you know, um, we do things as a package and, you know, the banking, a company without a bank account or a company without a way to take payment and to, you know, without these types of fintech, you know, is kind of useless. And in most regards, you know, you need some way that you can transact. So it's good to see that a lot of the fintech do work in Estonia and, and that makes sense based on our conversation. But uh, with a lot of the offshore jurisdictions, they don't, they won't, you know, PayPal does not work in certain countries and Stripe does not work in certain countries and you're not able to connect those things with the corporate account. So it's something to definitely keep in mind. So how many people have gone through this program now? Uh, close to 70,000. 70,000. Wow. Yes. Um, basically five years, more than five years old. And then what's the... If, if you know, maybe in even just a general sense is fine, like the success rate of applicants or maybe how many people have applied and how many people, well, we know that 70,000 people are participating, but I'm just kind of curious, you know, percentage wise, if you have all your ducks in a row, you've got your documents, um, do you have a good chance of getting this or is it a really hard program to enter? Uh, mostly. For most citizens, if you have um, good financial behavior and, and you don't have a criminal record, then you shouldn't have a problem. Uh, of course, each case is different. Uh, currently, out of these 70,000 applications, we have about 65,000 e-residents. But this includes also you know, people dropping off and, uh, and not using it and, uh, and canceling their e-residency or 
stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And do you guys take new businesses or do you only take established businesses that can show economic activity? So mostly we have um, new, uh, new businesses. They are freelancers. They are service industry-based companies. Uh, we, of course, we have established businesses as well, but we don't discriminate in that way that, you know, if you didn't have a business before, we won't accept you. Talk to me about the logistics. So time frame, costs, things like this. Like, so say, say I was going to, I decided I'm going to, tomorrow I want to start my application. What is, what is the process? Walk me through it, paint a picture for me. So as I mentioned, we have the online application platform. So you would need your passport. You would need a photo, so kind of a, a passport photo of yourself in a digital form. Then you have to fill in the personal um, information fields like where you're from address citizenship you can also add if you want to create a business what kind of business do you want to create and you can also add a business plan there um, and uh, then the state fee for this is 120 euros uh, you submit the application and then uh, legally speaking 30 days is the kind of time frame that it might take or the police has the right to look at your uh, application for 30 days but usually it's done faster in two weeks time or something like that and then um, you also choose where you want to get the card so as i mentioned you have to have a physical meeting in one of our embassies so this is sent with diplomatic post and you have to make an appointment so you go to the embassy and you meet the consul or the representative of our government who verifies you and actually gives you the resident card. So simply put, this is, this is the process. And it depends where do you want to get the card. So inside EU, where we have a lot of diplomatic posts moving, it will take faster. If you want to get it in, I don't know, Australia, Canberra, then it might take quite a lot of time. So the 120 euros, that covers the cost and the meeting at the consulate and everything? Yes, so it's mostly about the background check, uh, you know, and people we have hired for that. It's sent uh, with diplomatic post, which is also quite expensive. And the salaries of, you know, the, the people who are actually giving you the card and who are printing the card. And it also comes in a very nice, neat box. And you also have a card reader inside the box because you have to put it into your computer with a USB card reader. So you get the hardware as well as the card. I'm trying to visualize what that would be like. <laughs> So if you Google e-residency uh, box, so probably you will see the photo somewhere. We have a lot of tweets about it. All right. I'll make sure that I find a picture of that and I'll put it on expatmoneyshow.com uh, under Out's uh, interview. I'll make sure that I include a, um, a picture and, and all the links that we're talking about this in this interview so you guys can follow up if you are interested. So 120 euros. It's going to take somewhere between two and four weeks and it's kind of dependent on how long you or where you live and how close you are to the embassy and all of these types of things and but the the police in estonia can hold your information for four weeks so you have your photo your passport copy maybe a business plan um, all the documents in a row and you submit online uh, on the website after that you'll get a notification you'll visit the uh, the consulate or the embassy you'll have a meeting with them and you'll be able to get if you're approved, you'll get your card and your, uh, your hardware that comes in the box. Did I miss anything or is that uh, a fair summary? Yeah, that's a fair summary, yes. And after that, 
it's your own choice if, if you want to create a company to Estonia, but of course you don't have to. And not anyone, anyone or not everyone benefits from creating the company. So if uh, you have a virtual kind of business, you have um, a digital nomad service-based industry business that might benefit your traveling around, you don't have one kind of permanent establishment. So um, we have a quite good knowledge base in our website, eresident.gov.e, where you can find out more if e-residency could be for you. But one thing, it's, it's definitely not a tax haven where you could kind of hide away from the tax man because everything is digital and we share the information with, with other tax authorities as well if we see some kind of doubt. Mm-hmm. That makes perfect sense. So let's talk about who this program is good for. So the digital nomad, is that kind of the, some of the main people that this was styled for or, or who is this program good for? Who is it kind of not so good for? When we actually started with the program, then the initial persona was uh, foreign board members of existing Estonian companies. So where they could actually uh, sign documents digitally and save money and time, valuable resources and kind of grow Estonian economy that way. What's, what we kind of soon discovered were, was that there was a lot more people who were actually interested in the program people who maybe didn't have Estonian companies, uh, people who were from outside of the EU, inside the EU. So we have quite many different personas, but it's mostly about saving time and money. So it's, it's quite cost efficient. It's quite fast. You can do it from anywhere. And, uh, and it's trustworthy and transparent. So you can have uh, no you know, corruption-free, trustworthy economic environment inside the European Union. Okay, so that's the costs and the process for getting the e-residency. So once you're approved for the e-residency, then can you talk me through the costs and the process for actually setting up a company, if that is the right choice for you? The company setup is also quite cost efficient. The state fee for opening a company is 190 euros. And uh, once the company is registered, we highly recommend to use a service provider in Estonia who will actually help you with your bookkeeping and and uh, and your registration, if you need a VAT registration, and um, that is basically around fifty, sixty to one hundred euros a month, depending how much transactions you have. Um, if you're a small company, then of course it's less. If you're bigger, then a bit bigger. But it's very cost efficient because in roughly around five hundred euros, you get the full kind of functioning business package for your for your service based um, business. And then I assume that the the documents required, the AML and KYC and everything like this, would probably be pretty similar to any other country when you're opening up a company. Yes, fairly fairly similar. And once, of course, you have gone through the e-residency process, then some of KYC processes will already have been done. So we know you, we know who you are, we have verified you physically, uh, and uh, and we have some of your data already. So the the program started as a way for people to sign documents for board of directors and things like this who were Estonian who lived outside of the country? Not, not, not really Estonian, but um, they were uh, non-Estonians, but they were board, yes, they were board members of Estonian companies. So they were living somewhere else and they were non-nationals. But we in Estonia, we've been using this digital signature for everything you know, for 15 years. And we thought that why don't we make it available for the foreigners who are running businesses here as well so that they can stay, save the money and they wouldn't have to physically come here. That was the initial idea. And now we've kind of expanded this to, to a whole new array of digital nomads. Um, 
there are academics, there are photographers, there are, of course, industry, uh, hard industry, uh, export, uh, physical goods as well. But our main kind of direction goes towards towards the service space. And then with the, the digital signature and being able to do this, is there anything that's proprietary, anything that makes this special opposed to, um, like I've signed documents online a hundred times. Is there a difference between what you just normally do in a PDF opposed to the way that this is done with your with the e-residency? There is most definitely a difference. So when you, when you sign a document or a PDF using your copy of your handwriting, <laughs> uh, if, if it is, a copy of your handwriting because sometimes it's with your finger right um that is completely unsafe um what we are doing is that we use certificates um on our identity card um that are verified by uh, your private keys so public keys and private keys which then you use a pin number to log into and a pin a second pin number to sign so it's kind of multi-factor authentication and digital stamp, which means that it can, can't be altered. If you, if you open that uh, container with this digital signature, you can't change it, right? If, you open, if I open up your PDF and you have some kind of drawing on it, then it can be manipulated very easily. But uh, our kind of software uh, permits you to have uh, basically um, unchangeable signature with a timestamp so we know exactly what date what time it was signed and to this date there is no security breach no one who has actually been able to to change or hack wow and so when you say like a private key and a public key the first thing that i think of is blockchain technology are you using that type of technology or is this something different or how does that work it's it's kind of similar in the sense that the data we have um, in our public systems uh, is kept safe by distributed ledger technology that it's similar to blockchain so in Estonia to give you a little story um, in 2007 we had the, the first ever cyber attack in the world and we removed a little Soviet statue in, in um, our capital and, and we were attacked we were, had riots and we were attacked by um, our hairy little neighbor uh, in, in the internet. And soon after that, we created uh, the cyber warfare unit and we invested heavily into protecting our data with digital uh, distributed ledger technology. And that was before blockchain existed as a term. So Estonian systems were built up before, but they use quite a similar uh, system that timestamps all of uh, all of the data. So we keep our data safe using similar technology to blockchain. And public-private key is just a kind of uh, way to access this data. Well, I think this is super interesting because I love the I love the history of how things come about. You know, the history of okay, well, you guys started this 15 years ago. You went through. You had these types of problems before blockchain, before any of these types of concepts in other industries were applicable, and how you guys have found solution. I think that's awesome. So I've heard that there's actually quite a big community of people that. Um, have gone through this e-residency and actually share knowledge and information. Can you talk to me a little bit about how that works or, or how that all fits together? We did a, a survey um, some time ago where we questioned e-residents. Uh, it was kind of anthropological study to understand the souls of e-residents, who they are and, and what the values they have and, and you know, why they're e-residents and what do they do. 
And the interesting fact that came out was that e-residents can get quite lonely. And the reason for that is that they are you know, entrepreneurs. They're traveling all the time. Um, they're alone in their company, so they're freelancers. And they don't have that much you know, communication or, or, or you know, they don't have one home base and the family somewhere to, to kind of lean upon. So it can get quite lonely. And, and we've seen how e-residents themselves kind of incorporate with each other. So it's, it's kind of a strong community. And uh, to prove that, uh, they've created something called Erika, so which is Estonians, Estonian e-residents uh, uh, International Chamber Association. So it's kind of, kind of like an association where e-residents come together and, and, uh, and they say how much they like Estonia. Uh, how Estonia is kind of uh, empowering their uh, their companies, uh, how they would like to contribute to Estonia and they would like to talk more with Estonians. They have also created an app called Runo, which lets you randomly talk to an e-resident. So any e-resident can talk to an Estonian. So they will match you up. It's also quite interesting. And this was a government initiative or this was the community themselves that put us together? This is completely community driven. So we had no no part in it. And, and that is fascinating that you know, when we created the program in the beginning, we never thought that these kind of people would actually start communicating with each other and create a strong community feeling around a plastic card, which it essentially is, right? So it's kind of, it's, it's, it's a tool, but, you know, a kind of story around it and everything that it has become is so much bigger and so international. So our team can't be any, everywhere all the time and, uh, and the community members are very active to hold uh, all kinds of events. Yeah, and then I read something about an e-residency week that's actually done like in other countries. Correct. So once a week, as it's difficult for us uh, to be everywhere, once a week we kind of celebrate e-residency where we have our birthday and we have events all around the world. So uh, last year, in it's the last week of November every year. And last year we had 21 events, no, sorry, 23 events in 21 locations. So you can find uh, community members and our team members all around the world uh, talking about the residency and thanking our community members. Well, that's excellent because that's really promoting entrepreneurship, which is, you know, my biggest love in the world. I believe that, you know, the less regulations and the more freedom that people have to build a business and, you know, drive the economy, the better off we're all going to be, um, you know, set up the structures and then stand out of the way. And, you know, if people are, are gathering together to celebrate this, um, you know, and entrepreneurs are getting together to talk about these types of programs, I think that's really excellent. Absolutely agree. I'm very happy that we have this community who actually believes in the, the fundamental pillar of entrepreneurship, uh, which, which is uh, e-residency. So what are the next steps for the e-residency program? Do you guys have other things in the works? Where would you like to take this in the future? We're looking at a couple of ideas, but what I can say at the moment is something that will definitely happen is a digital nomad visa. So it's a governmental kind of D-Visa kind of program where we let digital nomads or freelancers into our country uh, to come work temporarily. Because at the moment, uh, as I mentioned also, these people are kind of illegals because they are actually working, but they're traveling with a tourist visa. And no country has addressed this problem so far that to give them the opportunity to, to, to legally work, you know, virtually because the old system... 
uh, was that you go to college after the college you go to work in a company and you stay there for the rest of your life and in one location but today that's completely shifting so uh, we tried to or we want to launch this in summer and uh, and we're at the moment kind of thinking how to what the criteria is exactly to um, to define who is a digital nomad and who is not but the idea is that uh, they could actually become uh, workers, temporary workers in the Schengen zone through Estonia. And that could be like the next step for, for EU residency. Any, any inside information? There? <laughs> so what we're looking into is, um, is uh, also the fact that if we know that you as a company owner, as an e-resident have been, I mean, you have been an exemplary taxpaying entrepreneur and you're doing well. Uh, why not we we could offer you you know the chance to come to Estonia physically because we are very kind of efficient fast uh, quite cost effective location where to live as well so we know that you know for three years you've been running your company and, and perhaps we make a proposition that hey come to Estonia physically you know we'll, we'll help you with the visas we'll get you set up we'll help to find an office come here and and spend a few years in Estonia because that's you know where the real economic value would come for the Estonian government or the Estonian state and it would also be a cool experience because we see a lot of e-residents who are interested. We have a lot of e-residents who come to our office, just knock on our door and say, I wanted to see if this e-Estonia is a real place. Well, yeah. And I think that any country that welcomes entrepreneurs into the country, you know, I think that's going to be excellent. And that's exactly why I'm in Panama. Panama has an economic visa here and, you know, they're bringing in entrepreneurs from all over the world. Same as Singapore. Singapore has a huge tech sector. And, you know, that's, that's human capital. That's talent that's being brought in. And that's money that's being spent in the country and hiring local people. So I think that there's huge, huge advantages for everybody in the country by bringing in entrepreneurs and business owners and, and people like this. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a winning. It should be a winning formula. Perfect. Well, this was really, really fascinating. I've never heard any program like this, and I I work in this industry for a living. So this is all really new stuff for me, and I can't wait to go and do some more research. If my listeners want to get a hold of you, if they want to find out more about the program, where can we send them? More about the program, go to our website, eresident.gov.e. Follow us in Facebook, follow us in Twitter, follow us in Instagram, so eresidency, Google it. We have a huge knowledge base in our website as well, so you can find out exactly if your residency is for you or is it not for you. Uh, and you can see some information on my Twitter account uh, with my name as well. Excellent. Thanks so much, Out, and we'll talk to you soon, okay? Thank you. Hey everyone, Mikkel here. I just want to mention to you that you need to check out all the work we're doing on social media. So don't worry about Instagram, don't worry about LinkedIn, don't worry about Pinterest and those types of things. Where you're going to find me is on Twitter. Every single day I'm on Twitter. We're sharing a lot of the thoughts, a lot of the tips, a lot of the breaking news is coming out on Twitter. And then add to that our expat money forum. We are doing so much amazing things in the forums. There's special content that's not found anywhere else. There's a lot of networking. There's just so much happening on this forum that I really hope you get a chance to participate. And you can access that at expatmoneyforum.com. So find me on Twitter at Thora Mikkel or join the forum at Expat Money Forum. Thank you so much for listening to today's interview. 
This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.